The rest of us are going to be in Daniel chapter 9. We're in a series we just started, Ready or Not, a look at end times and the return of Christ. Jesus told us that he was coming back, and he told us to be ready. And he said he was coming whether we were ready or not. Today we look at a critical passage at, as we look at end times. It's a very difficult passage in the book of Daniel. Sometimes it's just easier to take hard passages and avoid them. Um, I will do my best to bring some clarity to this passage. Daniel has some key prophecies that describe the end of the age. The book of Daniel has many links to the book of Revelation. And some uh, scholars would say you can't understand the book of Revelation without understanding first the book of Daniel. So we're not going to study the book of Revelation this morning. We're not going to study the book of Daniel this morning, but we are going to take a look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. So a question for us is, as we start, why is Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27 important? What makes this important? Well, first, Jesus referred to it, and he somehow thinks this is important about the end of the age, and uh, he referred to it in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15. And you'll remember that last week we started with Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. So this is the first verse in our passage next week. So we're really working on next week's passage today. Um, here's what Jesus said. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolations, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. So what am I saying right now? Okay, Jesus says this is going to be important. It's going to be important to understanding some of the things about the end times, and we'll uh, go into this in more detail. The key I phrase here is the abomination that causes desolation. What does that mean? Thanks for asking. Be patient. The Apostle Paul referred to this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 through uh, 3 through 4. We're going to look at this passage a little bit later. The Apostle John referred to this event in Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And uh, Daniel again refers to this in Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. He closes the book with this, okay? Um, so Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27 is going to be very important if we uh, are going to uh, study things that happen in the end times. The passage in Jan uh, Daniel chapter 9 begins with Daniel focused deep in prayer, and suddenly God answers. And uh, the prayer in verse 20, Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. So Daniel's praying, and uh, the prayer, the, the whole prayer is in the first 19 verses of chapter 9. And if you want to study some good principles about prayer, go back and spend some time in Daniel chapter 9, in Daniel's prayer. 
Daniel very humbly acknowledges his own sin and the sin of his people. He is totally honest before God. Now, we're going to talk about the context of our passage today. We're going to, we're going to go back and look at first the, the first three verses of Daniel chapter 9. Um, so Daniel gives us a, a, time here, a, a, marker, a time marker here of when this took place. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, those are all real people of history, a Mede by descent who was made a ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign. Now this time would be about 586 B.C., and scholars can uh, do a lot to date, especially some scholars don't like to, to, to date biblical things because they don't like prophecy. But historians can date usually the secular leaders fairly easily. And Daniel writes, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. Here is Daniel, a prophet, studying the words of Jeremiah the prophet. He is a student of God's word. And that brings him to prayer. He says, uh, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Daniel is devastated by that. Uh, Daniel was carried into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, remember we talked about the Babylonian captivity during virtual church because we were trying to liken ourselves to being in captivity under COVID, which is not the same as the Babylonian captivity, okay? Um, but Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, had come into Jerusalem and carried off captives, and later he's going to come back and destroy the city. Daniel's carried off in 605 B.C. Daniel is in Babylon, a city, a, a pagan city. Daniel understood from Jeremiah that God's people, Israel, would be in captivity 70 years. And this is the punishment and discipline from God. Um, for their ongoing disobedience. And God had warned them 800 years early in the, earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, starting in chapter 28. He says, if you obey me, I will bless you. And he goes into great detail to say what that looks like. And then he says, if you disobey me, I will curse you. And he goes into great detail of what that looks like, including that you will be defeated by your enemies. And not only that, Israel had failed in giving the land a Sabbath rest. Okay? Um, God's people were to work their land for six years, and on the seventh year, they were to give it a break, a Sabbath rest. Not going to plant, uh, not going to reap. The land is going to rest. And that would require a great deal of faith in trusting God. Can you trust God that if we don't work this year, if we don't work the land this year, we're going to make it? And God says, you follow these plans, I will provide for you. But Israel wasn't sure about that. And, 
they didn't give the land a Sabbath rest as God instructed. Verse, um, verse 3 of Daniel's prayer says, I, So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and, and ashes. You can see how earnest Daniel was in his prayer. Daniel's prayer was about the desolation of Jerusalem and the temple. They had been utterly destroyed. God's temple, his reputation before the watching world. And he is overwhelmed with grief at how the, the witness this is for God. And so Daniel prays, and the answer comes really fast in verses 21 through 23. And he says, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier in an earlier vision, Daniel chapter 8, Gabriel appeared earlier. He came in swift flight. Oh, what kind of man is that? He flew in. Doesn't say he had wings, though. Maybe he did. But he is a messenger from God. Gabriel is an angel. And he has come to represent God and to speak for God. And Daniel tells us the time. It's about the time of the evening sacrifice, 3 p.m. Now, they weren't sacrificing in Babylon, but there was a time that everybody knew, and they marked it out for prayer. It was the time of the evening sacrifice back home. And so Gabriel appears. This is the same Gabriel that came to uh, Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, the same Gabriel that came to Mary in Luke chapter 1. It's probably the very same angel that came to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, but we don't know. He wasn't given a name when he came to Zechariah. Verse 22, he, that is Gabriel, instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. This is the answer. As soon as you began to pray, how about this? As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. I think we learned something about prayer right there. God has a high view of Daniel, highly esteemed by, by his character and his behavior and his walk with God. God recognizes this. And so he has sent Gabriel to communicate a vision that comes from God. In verses 24 through 27, we see God's plan and timeline revealed. Now this is where the prophecy becomes a bit more technical. I'm going to ask you to bear with me. My kindergartner, kindergarten teacher used to say, put on your thinking caps and you're going to need them, okay? Don't have to focus. God's plan and timeline. The time set for Daniel's people in verse 24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And so there's a panoramic view. It's not all of the history, but it's a panoramic view of things that are coming before Daniel. Daniel's people. Who are they? Well, it's Israel. It's the Jewish people. 
Daniel's holy city. Well, that would be Jerusalem. This is the most important city in Jerusalem. It's where God designated that his temple, a place of worship, should be. It will be the most important city in all of the world. Did you know that? Revelation chapter 21. The time? 77. If you multiply that, 70 times 7, you get 490. This is the total time. Now, sometimes people get nervous about the sevens. Okay, think about seven. It's a heptad, and this was a really important number and concept in the Old Testament. We think of tens. We like tens. We do multiples of tens. We can think quickly with tens. That's how we... That's part of our culture. We also have dozens. They're important. Get a dozen eggs. Why not 10? Why not 13? Or get a dozen donuts. Some of you would get the dozen donuts. Um, but seven was that important number in, in, in the Old Testament. Well, God created the heavens and the earth in six days and what? He rested on the seventh day. God told his people, I want you to rest. Every seven days has an important number. God told his people, every seven years, I want you the land to rest. God told his people, after seven times that um, you work the land and it rests, when you get to, after 49, when you get to 50, we're going to call it the year of the Jubilee. And we're going to celebrate the goodness of God and we're going we're gonna to forgive debt. And, and we're going to release any prisoners. God had this all worked into his system. The time is 77, 400. Seven refers to years. Why years? Where does this come from? Well, it's the context. It's back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. It's about Daniel has been praying about the 70 years of captivity. That's, this is the answer. And it, he's not talking about days. If he were talking about days, he would have said days. In the context, he's talking about the years. And you can find out that if you do all the addition and math and multiplication and division, it can't be days, okay? It's 70 times 7 years or 490 years. Now, you're just going to have to bear with me. I hope some of you are skeptical because I just invite you to do your research. Whatever, whatever you think this passage says, God intends this to be understood and God intends to work out his plan. It's in his timetable. I'm not um, trying to convince you that I know it all. I'm going to give you my best shot here. The thing that makes the most sense to me in understanding this Verse four, uh, 24, we have the purpose of God's plan. This is God's plan for Israel and Jerusalem. Verse 24, 77 are decreed for your people. And then it goes on to this list of six things. The first one is, is to finish transgression. There's going to be a 490-year period where uh, Israel's transgressions are going to be finished. 
And by application, it's not just Israel's transgressions, but it's the transgressions of the entire world. That is, transgression is going to run its course to the end. And at some point in the future, it's going to be totally removed. Um, the second one is much like that. To put an end to sin in a very similar way. Jesus is the one, when he returns, is going to ultimately put an end to sin. He's going to bring a very violent judgment on earth and a separation, and he's going to establish his kingdom. And there's going to be an end to sin. Also, the third one is to atone for wickedness. This is what Jesus did when he was crucified in the first century. But this was 600 years after Daniel was given this prophecy. Jesus' death will be a fulfillment of this prophecy. The fourth one, to bring everlasting righteousness. This has not happened yet, has it? You, you, we have the whole problem in our lives, and we have the whole problem just watching it on the nightly news in our community and we, got, we still have wars and rumors of wars. To bring in everlasting righteousness. It hasn't happened yet. But when Jesus returns, he will establish a kingdom of righteousness. We begin to see that in Revelation chapter 20. Fifthly, to seal up vision and prophecy. That is to complete God's visions and God's prophecies. Uh, no longer will visions be needed or dreams be needed or prophecies be needed because everything will be fulfilled. Lastly, the purpose of the 490-year period is to anoint the most holy place. And this refers to God's temple in Jerusalem. And one of the important things to know is, just in case you hadn't thought about this, there is no temple in Jerusalem right now. This prophecy says, at the end, there's going to be a temple that's anointed. That may well be what Ezekiel referred to in Ezekiel 41 through 46. After the, these purposes of God that are given for this 70 weeks, 490 years, um, we have the time to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So think of the 490 years. It's a, it's a time clock. There are specific purposes for the 490 years, Okay. That doesn't answer the question of when, when do these things take place or what is taking place. We're going we're gonna to continue to put this together. But there is this, Israel has 70 weeks or 77s. And God is going to do these six things during that time period. So first we have the time to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, verse 25. No one understand this. Gabriel says to Daniel, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now this is a marker. This time the word goes out. Or this time that a decree is made to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. 
Um, now, the temple has just been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The city has just been destroyed by Neb Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B B.C. So that's a time marker. Then, the, then there's another time marker. Until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. Another marker. The anointed one. Who is that? Well, the NIV translators know that it's Jesus. That's why they capitalized it. The anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Daniel is referring to his coming right here. This is another marker. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. There are two markers together. Seven sevens is 49 years. 62 sevens is 434 years. Altogether, that's going to be 483 years. I told you you're going to have to stay with me. It will be rebuilt. The city of Jerusalem will will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. The city would begin to be rebuilt under Nehemiah. Nehemiah would get the walls up in 52 days, but not the city. So let's break this into some parts. First, the issuing of the decree. I went fast through that, but now we're going to slow it down here. The issuing of the decree. Now, there were, if you go back to the Old Testament, there were four decrees by pagan rulers uh, to restore. Not, uh, three of the decrees were given to rebuild the, the temple. Cyrus gave two, Darius gave one, but the fourth one was given by Artaxerxes. Um, and so Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 says, the king, that is Artaxerxes, said to me, what is it you want? This is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Uh, then I prayed, right on the spot. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and, and I, I answered the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in, in his sight, let, me, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. What's the city? Jerusalem. And then the answer comes in Nehemiah uh, chapter 2, verse 8, at the very end. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. Nehemiah had just asked for all of these things, all these permissions, all these letters of approval of things that he would need, and, and, and he would need passage in different countries. And the king just grants them all. The time is about 445 B.C., the time when the decree was issued to restore and rebuild the city. Remember that the seven sevens, seven times seven equals 49 years. The significance is it took 49 years to rebuild the city. They had a lot of work to do to rebuild the city. This is one of those markers. What about the plan for the anointed one in verses 25 through 26? This is a key figure of Daniel, the, the anointed one. Verse 25, know and understand this from the time that the word goes out and restored and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. So he's going to appear. 
When does he appear? There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And he's going to appear 483 years later. The city will be rebuilt with streets and trench. So the anointed one is going to come at the end of the 62-week period. There's going to be a 7, uh, 49 years, and there's going to be a 62 times 7, and then the anointed one, the Christ, will come. And he did. That's good news, folks. He did come. And many scholars will date this as um, the arrival in Jerusalem of Jesus riding on a donkey that first Palm Sunday when he rode in as king. The anointed one appeared. Um, And there's all kinds of work you can do to create, okay, how do they know all this? Well, the Jewish people would have been operating with a 360-day calendar year. Scholars always have great difficulty going back, whether it's biblical history or secular history, to go back because there were different kinds of calendars observed by different groups of people. And all of them have to come up with ways to deal with extra time, like leap year is one. If you have a 360-day uh, calendar year, You've got to make up some days. And, and the Jewish people normally did that. Every five or six years, they threw in an extra 30 days. And uh, they still had to deal with leap year. And so it's complicated. And I, you know, I wouldn't die for a calendar. But there is an overall picture that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, The anointed one will be cut off. Um, scholars believe it's th- that could very well be around 32 or 33 A.D. if you do all of the calendar work. And the plan, verse 26, the plan for the people of the ruler to come. And this inter- introduces another new idea. The people of the ruler to come. We want to identify who are the people and who is the ruler to come? And this is not the anointed one. The people, well, they get identified as the Romans. They are identified, in, um, interpreters identify them in Daniel 7, the Roman Empire, and they are identified by their actions. The ruler to come is future to Daniel, but also future to us. And he will be involved in verse 27. Going to stay with me. Got to stay awake here, folks. There you go. Good, good. Um, They will destroy Jerusalem and the temple. The people of the ruler to come. The people, the Romans, will destroy Jerusalem and the temple. That was fulfilled in the first century in 70 A.D. We referred to that last week. 
the temple was destroyed. The city was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. But this was way future to Daniel. And this was a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy when, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Verse 27, the time at the end. Now we're, there's been 69 weeks so far. 69 weeks. And now we're jumping to the 70th week. Okay? Now sometimes this 70th week is called the tribulation. Um, this is the last week or the last seven-year period. It has not happened yet. This is why it's so important to our understanding. In, in verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many, 1-7. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering at the temple, and he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Now, some people have interpreted that that happened with Antiochus Epiphany in the second century before Christ. No, Jesus said it hadn't happened yet in Matthew 24, 15. It's something that's coming, hadn't happened yet. Who? This is the one who was to come. The people of the one who has come. This is, he's, he's going to be Roman related somehow. A seven-year uh, period when the world leader, that is the Antichrist, will make an agreement with the Jewish people. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. A seven-year period, a world leader is going to arise. He's going to befriend the Jewish people and negotiate some kind of agreement and a covenant. And he's going to, that means that there is going to be a temple in Jerusalem, and that means that they're going to be able to sacrifice like they did in the Old Testament, and they're not doing that now. And then he's going to put a stop to it. In the middle of the seven years, the Antichrist will stop the sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. This will be a betrayal to the people of Israel. He will proclaim himself to be God. This is, the, the, this is it. The abomination that causes desolation. This would be like probably the most unholy event in world history. And it's coming. He will proclaim himself to be God. The apostle Paul refers to this in 2 Thessalonians chapter three, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I said we would look at this. And, and Paul writes, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the re rebellion occurs. Jesus referred to that. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Paul is talking about the Antichrist. He's talking about the ruler who is to come from Daniel. Verse 4, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he himself, he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. 
This is the abomination of desolation that Jesus referred to. And then in verse 27, he will face a final judgment at the end, as Daniel states in verse 27. He says, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And so there's a time coming for this man of lawlessness. Daniel calls him the beast. The book of Revelation calls him the beast in Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 20. And we see his end, how, how, how this is poured out on him, and God's wrath will be poured out on him. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is right after Jesus returns. This is God's final judgment day on human history. This is before the eternal kingdom is established. The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the beast will be thrown into a fiery hell, the lake of fire. Now, okay, I want you to see a graphic. Be patient. Some of you don't like charts at all. We're not superimposing a chart on the Bible. We're attempting to draw out what the Bible is saying so we can see it, okay? Now just let me walk through this with you. Okay, we're going to start with the left side. I don't know if you can see over that. Start with the left side. And Daniel was given by Gabriel a time period of total of 70 weeks. How does it break down? First of all, there were seven weeks, which was seven times seven, 49 years. That was given to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Approximately, that may have happened in 445 B.C. Now, I wouldn't go to the stake for this chart, okay? I think it makes a lot of sense. And um, 62 weeks were given, another time chunk, another marker, and at the end of that time, the Messiah appears. And he appears Palm Sunday, offered, offered himself to his nation as the king, and he was rejected. He is cut off. He is, he is executed. Um, right after that 69-week period, and he became an atonement for sin. Now we have the dotted lines. Uh, well, then you see that there's, a, a, at the bottom there on the dotted line, there's a 70 AD and the temple is destroyed. And that, that was in Daniel. Uh, now we have the, the dotted lines. What does that refer to? Well, that's really a good question because there is a big break between uh, 69 weeks and 70 weeks. There's a big break. Because the 70th week is yet future. If it weren't yet future, we'd all be dead, okay? It's future. And there's been a time period. And we didn't see it in Daniel. And there's allusions to it in the Old Testament. It was never clearly communicated. 
And then the Apostle Paul tells us why. In uh, Colossians chapter 1 and in Ephesians chapter 3, it's Colossians 1, 26 and 27, Ephesians 7, 3, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, the Apostle Paul tells us this is a mystery. A mystery means it's not been revealed before. It's new information that the Apostle Paul had the privilege to tell us about. The church is a mystery. This thing that Jesus came and established, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he has been building his church in Ephesians chapter 2, this temple of God, uh, one stone upon another. That's you and me. And we are not the nation Israel. And God has been building his kingdom through us right now. And I, I don't think that's... Uh, we aren't the thing. But that's what God is using today. Now, we haven't talked about this, but this chart, and I forgot that this chart said that, it has a rapture on here, and I'm, I'm not dealing with that today. I, I plan to teach on that in a few weeks. But that's uh, when Jesus returns for his church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and he comes in the air. He doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the air, and he takes his church to be with him. And I think that's going to happen right before the 70th week. So we're not going to, don't worry about that today. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. If we can agree on that Jesus is coming again, that's what we need to agree on. Um, so I think that's going to happen. And then we have the 70th week. And there is a covenant made uh, between the world leader who is, hates God and is against God. And he's going to make a covenant with the nation Israel. Now think about this historically. Thank you for your patience. I know you're trying really hard. Think about this in world history. Um, the land of Israel, after 70 AD, the land of Israel was annihilated. And they were just run over by nations. And then we had people, remember the Crusades? Hundreds of years of so-called righteous Christians fighting those bad pagans. And I think those Christians, a lot of those Christians were just as evil as some of the pagans were. But Israel wasn't in the land. And century after century, Israel wasn't in the land. Until 1948, all of, it all changed. Um, the people felt so bad for the Jewish, the world felt so bad for the Jewish people for what happened at the Holocaust. They band together so Israel could become a nation again. And you know what? That really changed people's study of prophecy. Oh, there is a nation. Because see, when you study the Bible all through those years, how does Israel even be important? They're not even a thing. The Jewish people are scattered all over the world. And by the way, sociologists will tell you that the Jewish population is so small worldwide that it should have disappeared hundreds of years ago. It should just have been absorbed like the Hittites. But not so. Jewish people always kept their identity. And they still have it today. Okay. 70th week, uh, there's going to be, at the middle of the week, at three and a half years, this world leader is going to go into the temple of Israel and he's, he's going to say, I am the God of the universe. Bow down and worship me.
And this is going to be in God's temple. Okay, what's our response? How can we respond to this? All of this information about the end times and the return of Jesus. Now, we didn't really talk a lot about the return of Jesus. Jesus will come whether we are ready or not. I want to close with the Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. And the Apostle Paul says, and, and do this, understanding the present time. Well, that really, that, that's us. We need to understand the present time right now. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Let's not be woke. It's wake up from spiritual slumber. Are we getting sloppy in our spiritual lives? When I got up today, I was just I was thinking about, aren't we so um, blessed to be here in a safe country and to be safe most of the day as we watch on TV another nation being invaded? And what would that be like to be caught up in that crisis? It's real, you know, to think about you see this, people are taking pictures of this on their phones. You know, we haven't had a war like that before. Not quite like this. The hour has already come to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Our salvation will not be complete until we meet Jesus face to face. Verse 12, the night is, is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night, meaning the spiritual darkness of our times, right now. The day is about experiencing the presence of the light of the world. And one day, he will be here as totally as king. And Paul says, put aside the deeds of darkness. Put aside our, our sin and our self-centeredness and our lusts and our addictions and our love of money and stuff. Our immoralities. Verse 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Live like a child of God. Live like one who follows Christ. Don't just try to look good to others. That's what we focus on, isn't it? I want, I want people to think I'm a good Christian. And what do I need to do so that's what people might think of me? Uh, be humble and honest and obedient to Christ. Verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is saying, put on Christ. Embrace his life and his ways. Check your resources right now. Are, are you relying on the resources God has given you? Are, are you relying on him? Or we might say, is he really your vision? Is he the one you see as your priority? Are we leaning into Jesus or are we just sort of managing things on our own? Uh, you know, we, 
We know what's best for our lives. And Paul says, no, surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to his word, his wisdom, and his strength. Um, don't sp spend your life gratif gratifying your desires um, to, to, to seek your, your comfort, your happiness, your pleasure. Let your joy be from Christ. Let your comfort be from Christ. Let your happiness come from your relationship with Christ. Today, in the Ukrainian church, many believers have clothed themselves with Christ as they face their Russian invasion. Vastel Ostry, a pastor near Kiev, was asked how the church is shepherding people. He said, if the church is not relevant in times of crisis, then it is not relevant in times of peace. Are we a people who are relevant to our world? His church of a thousand people have mobilized to train its people in first aid. That's what they're doing right now. They uh, have been trained um, to how to apply a tourniquet, how to stop bleeding, how to apply bandages, how to manage airways. They are seeking to love the neighbors in their community, having compassion on people. You know, they could just leave. A lot of people are leaving. Who would blame them for that? And yet this church is there. Pastor Osteri said, when this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians responded in their time of need. How would you and I respond to a crisis like that? Would we be bold and courageous? Would we be able to follow Christ? Would we be able to love our community? Are we just slumbering away? And Paul says, wake up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for um, the vision given to Daniel by Gabriel in Daniel 9. We just confess it's hard to understand and um, Lord, help us to be able to learn more about future things and, uh, so, so that we can understand and so we can be ready and so we can communicate truth. I do pray for the church in Ukraine right now, God, as, as they walk through this hard time, would you give them your courage? Would you give them power and strength? Would you enable them to love um, the people that they serve? If it pleases you, would you keep them safe? And we do pray, God, that you would work to, to bring an end to this uh, tragedy in our world. And God, for us, may we want to be people who would respond to you like the church in Kiev has.
that we would do whatever it takes to serve you, to love you. May we not slumber for Jesus' sake. Amen.